We're going to jump in this morning uh, to, to finish up a series we've been doing this summer called Lynchpin. We've been going through the book of Deuteronomy, but very specifically, we've been looking at the book of Deuteronomy through the eyes of Jesus. Outside of the book of Psalms, it's the book of the Bible he quoted the most while he was on earth. And the main point of this series has been for us to know what anchors us. What's our linchpin? What are some core things that life is about in Jesus? Know what anchors us and then live accordingly. It's not just enough to know it. We've got to embrace it and live it. And so we've covered some ground over the course of this summer. Um, First of all, we just did kind of an overview of the book and the heart behind the book. We talked about how um, it really is a book that captures past, present, and future. Moses talks to the people about their whole journey. He's reminding them of their journey out of Egypt, spending 40 years in the wilderness. He talks about where they currently stand on the cusp, about to go into the promised land, and where they, they presently currently are in some decisions they need to make about how they're going to live. And then he talks about their future, what they can expect to experience as they go forward. Victories they'll face, difficulties and struggles they'll have. He warns them against complacency um, and really gives them a vision for the future. And so we covered that overview. Um, And then in week two, we talked about grabbing the baton. This is the moment where all the kids who had grown up out of Egypt in the wilderness their parents are, are kind of fading into the background and they're stepping onto the scene to be who God's called them to be. And we talked about the importance for all of us to learn to grab the baton from the previous generation. There are things that are good and things that are bad that we need to learn from those who've gone before us. Thankful, celebrating what's good, and then having some wisdom to learn from the mistakes of others and grow. Because we're going to face our own challenges and we're going to make mistakes. And so we talked about how to grab that baton and then run our, way, our race. And then the following three weeks, we've talked about loving God, loving people, and being people of godly character. And those being kind of three components to running our portion of the race well, kind of when we've got the baton. And so this morning now, we're wrapping up by talking about passing the baton on. Now, that might, that might seem confusing to some of us. You know, if you're relatively young, some of you college students, in the room, you're like, man, I'm just barely starting to grab the baton. Why would I think about passing it on? My hope this morning is that we would all have a vision for this, that, that passing the baton isn't something you do at the end of your life. It is actually a part of our day-to-day journey with Jesus. As we're walking with him, we're living the life he's called us to, we are meant to be passing some things on to others. And my hope is that we would have a vision for that. So let me pray one more time, and then we're going to jump into Deuteronomy chapter 31. Jesus, we thank you that you are the living word. We thank you that you are with us and present this morning. God, that you are inviting us more and more into a real living relationship with you. And God, your, your heart, your vision for people to know you was for us to pass it on one person at a time. Jesus, you didn't get the whole world together and preach one message. You poured into people that you knew and loved, and you told them to go and carry the message. And so, God, we sit here today because faithful people shared the life they had in you with somebody else. 
And now, God, I pray that you would equip us and give us vision for living a life that passes on your love to other people. Make this word come alive in our hearts and help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Every four years, I turn into the biggest swimming fan. Now, the rest of the time, I don't even think about it, to be perfectly honest with you, but something happens when the Summer Olympics roll around, and I just, like, Michael Phelps won me over, like, whatever, 12 or 16 years ago, or however long he's been swimming now. I, I just, I get sucked into it. I want to watch all the races. I mean, I love some of the different strokes that they do and all of that. Um, but one of the, the images, one of the memories I've got that has stuck so clearly in my head is some of these moments and these rivalries where they're doing the team relays. Does anybody get sucked into the, the summer Olympic swimming stuff like I do? Okay. Can you already kind of picture like Michael Phelps like celebrating after winning a race like in the pool? Like he'll slap the water and just get pumped. Well, one of the main images I remember of him was when he was out of the pool where he, he was a part of a relay team. And I, I can't remember if it was Australia or France. It was one of the teams that they have a rivalry with. And I mean, at the last second, they barely outtouched him. And you can just see Phelps and those guys like standing on the side of the pool, like they were cheering that guy into the wall. And they go crazy when they see that they won. They're celebrating. There's something powerful and unique about each of them doing their part but then collectively together celebrating the victory. Now, now, I have to tell you, whether you realize it or not, that is a way better picture of what our walk with Jesus is supposed to look like than just some individual marathon runner. We live in, the par in part of a larger story in the history of mankind that God is telling I want you to hear this clearly. He loves you. He sees you. Paul, he cares about you, buddy. He, he loves you personally, and he is with you, and he is for you, and he is working to redeem your life. He is working to redeem the whole world. He's working to redeem all of history. And we get to be a part of that. And it is, it is so central for the gospel for us to understand in our personal lives what the love of Jesus looks like. But it's also important for us to realize I am a part of something. And God's calling me to participate in this. And so we're meant to, we're meant to be a piece of that race. And just as we grab the baton from a previous generation, we pass it forward. We're called into this. And so something is happening here at the end of Deuteronomy that we're going to pick up on this morning. And I, and I hope you don't just hear this as, you know, a myth or a legend or, or even just a history lesson. There is something in here for all of us. Moses is coming to the end of his life, the end of his race, the end of his ministry. And one of the key parts to this is that he is, he is handing things off to the next guy. He's handing things off to Joshua, who's going to step into his place and now be the person God's called him to be, leading God's people. And so we're going to pick this up in Deuteronomy chapter 31. You can read the whole chapter to get a larger 
context of kind of what's happening here, but we're going to just look specifically at verses 14 through the first half of 16 to start with. So here we go. Deuteronomy 31, beginning in verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went in and presented themselves in the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud. And the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. The first thing I see here is God's very honest with Moses, saying, hey, buddy, like your life's coming to a close. You know, Jesus made it really clear to us. He says, in this life, you will have, anybody know how it ends? Tribulation or trouble, difficulty. He's honest with us. But in Jesus, there's hope. There's hope. And so he says, hey, Moses, like your, your race is coming to an end. It's time to get Joshua and bring him to the tent of meeting. Now, Here's what's really cool about this. Moses hasn't just reached the end of his life and now he's scratching his head going, I wonder what we're gonna do going forward. Hopefully God has a solution here for the next guy. When God says, hey, bring Joshua into the tent of meeting, this was not a surprise. It wasn't like some no-name guy out of the crowd got called to come with him. Joshua's life has actually been marked by the fact that he was always hanging out with Moses in the tent of meeting. If you go back and look in the book of Exodus, one of the first things that happens when they come out of Egypt and move into the promised land is they set up this tent. And it's a place where people can go and spend time with God. And whenever Moses would go in there, people were so aware of the fact that Moses had this unique, real, face-to-face -face type relationship with God that they would stop what they were doing, the scripture says, and worship while Moses was in the tent of meeting. And it, it paints this whole story of him spending time with God in there and they're talking and he's, he's worshiping the Lord and he's building this ongoing relationship with God. And then there's this tiny little verse at the end of this interaction that says, and Joshua was hanging out in the tent of meeting. That's my, that's my little paraphrase on it. But it says he would stay there. Even after Moses was done, Joshua would stay there. See, the way that Moses passed the baton is that he brought Joshua with him all along the way. He didn't scramble at the end of his life to figure out what's my legacy and what's my life about. As he was doing what God had called him to do, as he was living the life God had called him to live, he was already thinking about who am I pouring into along the way. And so not only did he bring Joshua along, right? There was some responsibility for Moses to invite him along. Joshua said, I'm going to show up. I want to be there. I want to follow you around. I want to be where you are. And so they, they lived life together. So this was actually a habit for them. This was a normal part of their routine together to go spend time with God in the tent of meeting. And so here they go in together at this legacy moment. And God says, okay, Moses, now is the moment. You've been pouring into this guy for like 40 years out here. And now's the moment where you're officially going to pass the baton on to him. 
And so as God finishes up talking to Moses, I would, I would encourage you to read this later. For time, we're not going to read through it. But the rest of verse 16 through 21, God begins to talk to Moses and Joshua about what they can expect with the people that Joshua is going to be leading. And I have to tell you, it's not good news. <laughs> God says, these people are going to be stubborn. They're going to be difficult. They're going to wander away from me. There's going to be struggles along the way. These people are, are going to have difficulty in their journey with God. In their journey in this life, they're going to have difficulty. And then he moves from addressing Moses at the beginning to then talking to the two of them to now God looks at Joshua. And he says these words in verse 23. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them, and I will be with you. He's honest with him. He says, Joshua, living a life of legacy, doing what Moses has done, passing on things to other people, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be struggles along the way. They're going, to, they're going to be doing great at times. They're going to struggle at times. You know, the scripture says, like, like we all like sheep have gone astray. I mean, God was talking about, he may as well have been talking about my life when he talked about the Israelites there. They're going to be stubborn. They're going to wander. They're going to struggle. Listen, I want to be honest with you. If you purpose in your heart to live a life where you pour into other people, and you pass God's love along, you just need to know up front, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You know, somehow, along the way, uh, what all makes up a moral life has been sort of confused or even like stripped of power. You know, we've turned morality into just a list of do's and don'ts. If I'm going to be moral, it means I, I don't do these couple of things that God doesn't really like. That's not what morality is. Living a godly moral life is giving your life to God and loving other people. And that takes courage. It takes courage to live a moral life. It takes strength to say, I'm gonna hang in there with people. People are going to let you down. In fact, some of the people you know the best, that you love the most, that you do the most life with, they're the ones that hurt you the most. I, I've seen that to be true, and unfortunately, I've done that to other people. If, if my wife was in the room, she could start saying amen right about here. Like, I've probably caused some of the most pain in her life that she's had. That, that happens when we walk through life with people. It's difficult. But, but God says to Joshua, and I believe he would say to you and I, have courage. Have courage. My love has been poured into your life, and you can pass that on to others. You can do it. You can hang in there and live a life of courage and strength that passes on my love to other people. Go for it. You can do it. Hang in there. Listen, it is good and it is right for us to learn to live for more than ourselves. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned this at the beginning, but I want to unpack this for just a little bit longer here. Um, your life absolutely matters and it's a part of a larger story. Now, you may have experienced what I'm about to say in your personal life, 
It's definitely occurred over the course of time in the church and even pre-church in the Old Testament days where we can succumb to living one way or the other. We can, we can be so caught up in the fact that I'm just a part of a larger story and I live to serve that larger story and that larger body that I get lost in the midst of it. And the narrative is just about the church or the community. And I'm just like a cog in the wheel. And my job is just to keep that thing cranking along. And, and we have seen a lot of hurt people over the course of history who just kind of get lost in the shuffle serving a greater good. And individual people are left in the wake. Maybe you've experienced some of that in the course of your church life. However, often what's happened in individual lives and in the course of church history is what so often can happen for all of us is that we overcorrect when there's a problem. And there can be a gospel that gets preached that's so about the individual and about me and about what God wants to do for me that suddenly it kind of just becomes a treat yourself gospel. <laughs> Where it's like, what, what am I getting out of this? How am I benefiting? And if I'm not, then, then maybe I should stop doing that. Like serving is hard. And if you only do it because it just feels great all the time, you're not gonna do it. <laughs> I, I don't particularly enjoy being here by 8 a.m. and setting up these curtains every Sunday morning. It's not that fun, okay? There, there are things that we do as a parent. There's things I do for my kids that are not fun. I don't enjoy them. The other night, I'm sitting there and Amy and I had gone on a quick little trip back to Nashville just for like a day and came back and we're both tired and we're reaching the end of the day and we're both doing that thing. I mean, I guess I can't speak for what was going on in her head, but you know that thing, parents, where you're both laying in bed, and you know there's something that needs to be gotten to, like maybe there's a baby crying in the middle of the night or whatever, and you're just kind of hoping maybe the other person will get it. You know what I'm talking about? You've never done that, just me. Well, I'm like laying there trying to get a nap in yesterday, and I mean, the kids had come to the door a couple of times. I'm just like, oh, and I know it's like getting close to dinner time, and they're hungry. I'm just laying there. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is get up and feed them. What I'm hoping is Amy will get up. I'll nap for another 30 minutes. And then when I wake up, the food's like hot and ready to go. That's what I was hoping for. Now, most of the time, if, if I was being honest, I would have been the one to stay in bed. <laughs> but I, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to get up. I'm going to make some food, fed the kids. I didn't enjoy any of that. This isn't a story about how it ended up being so heartwarming and wonderful that I did that. No, I just didn't enjoy it. I was like dragging through it. But listen, we, we were meant to be a part of something. And the story shouldn't be that I'm just this servant slave that just exists to help other people all the time and I'm lost in the shuffle. But the story also shouldn't be that I'm just, it's just all about me. And what feels good to me all the time. The two things work together in unison. There, God absolutely loves us. Part of what Jesus did that turned the gospel on its head is that so much of the Old Testament was about God's people, big picture, and the people of Israel. And Jesus slowed down and said, this widow right here matters. This tax collector that you guys hate, he matters. This adulterer, I love them and want to forgive them, and they matter. 
Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree and said, buddy, you don't have to hide up there anymore. Come on down. I'm coming to your house today. Jesus lifted up the individual and says, I love you and I care for you and I see you. But then he said, I'm putting you into the family of God. And he said, actually, let me even give you a more clear picture of how much you need each other. You're not just in the family of God. You're the body of Christ. So you therefore are so connected with each other that it is as if you are one. We are called to pass the baton, which means I give my life away to others. I give my life away to others. I love and serve. I am loved. I am loved. And guess what? People serve and bless me, right? There's, a, there's an exchange that takes place. But we were made to be in community and, and we are a part of something larger. And so, yes, individually, I see and know God. I experience his love. And that's what's happening in the story. Joshua's with God face to face. God's encouraging him and is with him. He ends the verse by saying, I will be with you. See, that's the beauty of this. If you think this is a message about just suck it up and love people, even though it's difficult, that's not the message. There's some honesty to say it will be a challenge, but God is with you. The beauty of living life this way is I'm participating with him. You know what Jesus is already doing in this world? Pouring his love into people's lives. You know what he's inviting us to do? Participate in that. I get to be a part of that. And, and incredible things can happen if I'll do that. I'm, I'm not going to spend time unpacking and teaching this verse, but I just want to restate it because it's important to remember. You know, some of these key verses in Scripture that we know and that we've heard, they can just kind of get lost in the background. You know, I just sort of know it and check it off the list. But Jesus slowed down at the end of his life and said a few key things, and one of them was this. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came and he said to them, you know who the them is? The people he handed the baton to. The disciples who'd lived life with him every single day, watched him live, serve, love, watched him die on the cross, had seen him rise again. And he looked at those people and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what he's saying is, I can do this any way I want. Any way I want, I can change the world. I've got the power to do that. You want to hear my plan? You go, therefore, and make disciples. You do what you've seen me do. I pass the baton to you as you lived life with me. Now you go do that. A better translation of this might be as you go. See, sometimes we think being a disciple and passing the baton means I got to go to seminary and be a pastor, or I have to travel overseas to another country and be a missionary. Well, maybe. God might call you to that. He's called a lot of people to that. But being a disciple of Jesus is about living the life you are currently living where you are and as you go about your life, you make disciples. You pour the love of Jesus into other people. You're a student at UT right now? Great, go to class. Be responsible. Listen, study, learn, prepare, and carry Jesus with you and share the love of God along the way. You've got a job that you don't particularly like. 
It's not the job you were put on this earth to do. It's just kind of the one that's paying the bills right now. All right, we'll carry the love of Jesus with you as you go. Be a person of character that can be counted on to do your job well, to show up on time, to, to be a faithful, hard, good worker. Treat people with respect. You're a mom and feel like sometimes you just get lost in the shuffle in your home and you're just pouring into these young kids that need a lot of time and attention and it's, it's hard. Guess what? You are one of the closest pictures to them of the love of Jesus. And you get to pour God's love into your kids. As we go, let's touch the lives of other people. And so he continues on. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, there, there's been some quotes out there, things like, um, I wish I could attribute it to the right person, although I don't even know if, if it ever gets attributed to the right person. Um, but like, have you heard the quote about like, preach and when you need to use words? Like, have y'all heard that? Okay, there's some truth in that. Your life should speak, but I think you should always use words so people know why you're doing it. We're not just called to be nice. People need Jesus Christ to change their life. Let them know why you're a kind, loving person. When you blow it, let them know why it's gonna be okay because you have a loving and merciful God who gives you a fresh start and show some humility and tell them, I'm sorry that I just did that. Will you forgive me? And let them see the love of God at work in your life. Carry his name. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. See, that's why it requires living life like this. If I told you, I'm going to send somebody to your house tomorrow, and they're going to hang out for a couple hours, I want you to teach them everything you know. Some of you might be like, man, I don't even know anything. Here's how I, here's how I play video games. I don't know. I, you have a lot to share, actually. You couldn't share it in two hours in the afternoon. It'd almost be difficult to even figure out where do I start. But if you just said, hey, come spend time with me, over time you can pass on what you know. So we live life together. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that. He gives us the same promise he gave Joshua. I'm with you. You're not alone. You can do it. Pass things on. All right, so passing the baton is about giving your life away to others. But it's also about giving your life away to the future. It's kind of a weird thing. Notice he says, I'm with you even to the end of the age. There's an eternal kingdom that's happening. And we get to be a part of it. And part of passing the baton on is entrusting the future into his hands. It's actually an act of surrender that says, I'm not in control. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know how this is going to end. But I'm entrusting God into your hands, the future. Now, this especially matters when you're pouring into somebody you're going to have to let go of. Now, this could be a friendship and they move away. This could be a child that grows up and becomes an adult. Um, this could be you at the end of your life. But there are people that come into and go out of our lives. And that's, those are some of the hardest moments when it's time for people to go. But we are participating in something eternal. And so we can do that. We can, we can entrust into his hands the future. And when I, was, when I was thinking about this, I wanted to phrase this in a very specific way. Passing the baton is about giving your life away to an unseen but not uncertain future. 
to an unseen but not uncertain future. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's, it's a great mystery of how it's going to work out. Now, I might know, not know every tiny little detail, but I have been promised by God that if I entrust my life and my future in his hands, he's got it. He's got it. I'm trusting him. I'm handing it off to him. Now, I want to show you a picture of this in kind of a, a mysterious story. You know, we, we did a mysterious story last Sunday with the, the golden calf, and you'll have to go back and listen to that. I'm not going to rehash it. But we've got another one here this morning. Now, often this story is read and taught from Matthew chapter 17. And so I'm just going to give you the quick bullet points of the story. But we're actually going to look at the passage in Luke 9 that, that tells this story through Luke's eyes. So in Matthew 17, there's this mysterious story where Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, right, his three closest disciples, kind of the inner core, um, and he says, hey, we're going up to this mountaintop, and we're going to go up there and pray. And so Jesus and Peter, James, and John go up to the mountaintop, and while they're up there, all of a sudden, something unbelievable happens. The story is known as the transfiguration. It just means, whoa, something crazy happened. Like, Jesus looked different. Some of the scriptures actually say his clothes became so white, it was whiter than any bleach on earth could make it. All right, bright, white, shining clothes. His face was glowing. And if this wasn't crazy enough, Moses and Elijah appeared up there too and just started having a conversation with Jesus. And so Peter, James, and John are just... And it literally says, like, they were so confused. Some passages say they were afraid. Others say they didn't really know what to do. So Peter just came up with a brilliant idea. Let's build three tents and just hang out right here. I, I don't know what this is, and I don't know what's happening, but it seems pretty cool. Let's just kind of keep this going on. And so let's build three tents right here. All right, so there's the, there's the nuts and bolts of this. But I want, to see, want you to see this in Luke's gospel, because there's two or three um, things that I think are important to note. Luke 9, beginning in verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus had been teaching, he took Peter, or he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was a praying, the, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory. And spoke of his departure, which was about to accomplish, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. You know what he's talking about there? His departure? It's his death. He's talking to Moses and Elijah about what he's getting ready to head to Jerusalem to do. He's talking about his death and, and maybe even continuing that thought, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. So he's having this intimate conversation with these guys. Then verse 32, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Kind of a common theme of the disciples. I'm sort of grateful for that. Like I can feel lame sometimes, you know, when I'm kind of doing this number in a prayer meeting. Like, hey, like Peter, James, and John did that. They did that at the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're doing it here. They're kind of sleepy. And so they start to kind of wake up and come to and it says, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. 
Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. All right, there's three things I want us to to see here this morning. First of all, let's not be so quick to just make this story some sort of larger picture, narrative that Jesus is trying to tell. Like, I, I get it that Jesus said, on me and who I am, I'm fulfilling all the law. I'm fulfilling all the prophets. We looked a few weeks ago about how loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. And a lot of words have been spent talking about how Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And I think that that's accurate. But I don't think this has anything to do with Jesus trying to give all of us this really cool picture of how the law and prophets point to him. I think Jesus is doing what he always does. He is in relationship with people that he loves and two guys who had given their life towards something that they never got to see in person. He stops and says, guys, I'm here and I'm about to do it. Moses and Elisha had really unique lives. They're two of three people that are recorded in the Old Testament that it's kind of mysterious how they died. Moses' life ends, it says, that God buried him on the mountain. Elisha, who was Elijah's disciple, watched him in front of his eyes get taken up in a whirlwind. Chariots and horses of fire came down and a whirlwind took Elijah up and Elisha saw it. These two guys went to be with the Lord in really mysterious ways, in ways that point to eternal life and resurrection from the dead. And so even though on this earth, in their lives, they did not see the ultimate fulfillment of what God was up to, Jesus says, hey guys, I want you to participate in what I am about to do that you have been looking forward to. And he gave them a glimpse of it. And Jesus allowed his closest friends who were currently there to be a part of it. So that past, present, and future are represented in this moment. But it's the intimacy of he lets his disciples see this. He got to encourage a past generation. We, when we live our life and breathe our last if, if, we, if we go to heaven, if we breathe our last before Jesus returns, we're going to be in the same boat as Moses and Elijah, having lived a life that we didn't see the fullness of the kingdom come while we were here. But God loves us, and his message to us is, you can trust me with the future. I've got it. I see you. I love you. You are an important piece of what's going on. And thank you, for faithfully carrying your baton and passing it on. Peter, James, and John were standing on that mountain because Moses and Elijah had done what they were faithfully called to do. They lived imperfect lives, they made mistakes, and they didn't see the end result of what they were working towards in their life. But Jesus redeems all of it and brings us in and says, I've got it, I've got your future. Second thing I want us to see here, not only is Jesus personal when we give him our future, he makes it personal, lets us know he's there, but he wants us to wake up to it. 
He wants us to wake up to it. I don't, I don't think it's insignificant that they were just kind of sleepwalking their way through this moment. They were missing it. But we're meant to live awake and to see that he's present and to see that he's doing stuff. And things that we can take for granted as everyday things are filled with the glory of heaven. Think about this. When you are having an interaction with another human being, you are experiencing the eternal. I would even dare to say you're experiencing a taste of the divine. We've been made in his image. Not preaching that we're God. I'm just saying we're his kids and he's put his mark on us. And when you are interacting with another human being, you are interacting with something beautiful, mysterious, eternal, that bears an image of God and that's incredibly unique and worthy of respect and love. That is who we are around all the time. And we should wake up to that. I wonder how often we just kind of sleepwalk through our lives and take for granted all the people we're around. You're around miracles all day, every day. And you get to touch the lives of those miracles. So let's wake up to that. And then let's be careful because we can err on the other side, right? What does Peter want to do? Let's just stop everything right here and hang out on this mountain. I mean, if, if I were to, to have like a show of hands and let people take turns telling stories, my guess is some, if not all of us, have a few of those moments in our life that you would call a mountaintop moment, like a moment that just was like amazing. Maybe it was a specific moment like in worship, some event you were a part of, just some really cool, unique moment in your life. You just want to capture it and bottle it up and keep it. That's what Peter's saying. Like, I just want to keep this. This is so special and so powerful. Listen, I hope you can hear this. Some of the most wonderful, precious moments in life, some of them we just miss completely because we're asleep. Others we're aware of. And we wish we could just grab a hold of them and keep them there, but they just seem to slide through our fingers. If, if you want to experience that, really, be a parent one day and you'll start to see it really fast. You, you, they just, those, those years those little moments in time with your kids, they slip through your fingers before you can even grab it. But the message of this is that we don't have to try to bottle it up and keep it and be afraid that we're losing something. It's not lost. It's all kept, it's all redeemed, and it's all treasured for eternity. You better believe that Peter was talking to Moses and Elijah when he made it to heaven about, man, what was going on in that moment? And he actually got to understand it better and more fully and from their perspective. And it's something they could remember, celebrate, enjoy, talk about. All of these, these beautiful, precious moments along the way, we, we don't have to try to keep them and hold them and not let them slip through our fingers. We can be present in the moment. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's beautiful, but we can be in the moment and know that he has our future in his hands but he even has our current and our past in his hands, kept for us until that day. Don't worry about grabbing and keeping a moment. Live awake in the one that you're in. This is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he goes through, through the whole chapter, chapter 11, and unpacks like what's commonly referred to as the hall of faith. You guys ever heard that term before for Hebrews chapter 11 where it just lists, you know, 
Noah, Moses, like he just goes through the list of all these faithful servants of God over the years. And it's at the end of that reminder about all these faithful people who ran their race well that we roll over to chapter 12, which we should not separate because it's a continuous thought. Look at all of these people and the lives that they have lived and all that they have invested to pour into the next generation of the faith. And now, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we're surrounded by Moses and Elijah. We're surrounded by Peter, James, and John. We're surrounded by Mother Teresa. Like we've, we're surrounded by the legacy and story of all these people. Let us then lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the linchpin, ultimately. Jesus on the cross. You know, we started this series, we said that word linchpin was kind of taken from that word to hang upon. When Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on these words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, that same word that's used right there for that word hang is the same word that's used throughout the New Testament when it describes Jesus hanging on the cross. Because the the truth is, he's our linchpin. Passing the baton is about giving our life to others. And passing the baton is about giving him our future. But ultimately, passing the baton is about giving our life to Jesus. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And we give our lives to him and we watch what he does. And what he does is he works miracles. I want to close by reading this verse. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 25. You know, every now and then, Jesus would answer a question, and it almost seems like, like somebody asked him this question, he just kind of goes like this, and he's off over here, and it's like, that, how does that connect? Like he's distracted or something. And so the, the context of this passage is that some Gentiles wanted to meet him. They'd heard about him, and they, they were compelled to meet Jesus. And so they sent word through his disciples to Jesus, man, we want to spend some time with him. We want to meet him. And so, you know, one of the disciples is kind of embarrassed. He's like, man, I don't know if we're allowed to, like, let Gentiles hang out with Jesus. And so Philip goes and finds Andrew, and then kind of together they go to Jesus and say, hey, can you talk to these guys? And Jesus answered them. Watch this. This is really interesting. These Gentiles would love to hang out with you. You know, imagine for a minute you texted me and said, hey, Jay, can we grab coffee this week? And I answered and said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Like, where did that come from? I'm just asking you to have a conversation. But Jesus knows exactly what it's going to take for Gentiles to know him. What they really need is not a cool little conversation with Jesus for a minute. What they need is him fully. 
And so he immediately knows in order for all people to know me, in order for all people to experience the life I have for them, I'm going to have to die. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, it can't produce the crop. Jesus laid down his life. He's the anchor. He's the linchpin that redeems all lives into his kingdom. And he is the anchor of my life. And he wants to be the anchor of your life. And I hope that he is. And he would now invite you to join him in that. Because he now calls us to give that life away to other people. Your legacy is not what you do at the end of your life. It's the story you tell with your life. That's your legacy. That's passing the baton. Let's give our life away to Jesus. Let's pass the baton to others. And let's trust him with an unseen future. Let's live awake. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your life, for your love for us. God, I thank you that you are present even here. Lord, that we are surrounded by an incredible cloud of witnesses who've faithfully given their lives to follow you, to pour your love into the lives of others. God, would you now give us the courage that you gave Joshua? Help us to know that you're with us and present. God, that we get to be a part of something. That as we walk out this life with you, we can share it with other people. God, help us to be awake to to the miracles that are around us and the lives that we can touch. And God, help us to live unafraid. We don't have to capture moments. We can just trust you moment by moment. And ultimately, Jesus, I thank you that you are our anchor. The pressure is not on us. 